Well, go ahead and open up your Bible with me this, uh, this evening, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6. In our last adventure in the Word, uh, Paul ended chapter 5 talking about the marriage covenant, uh, the relationship between uh, the husband and a wife, and how that relationship models or mirrors the relationship of Christ and the church. So here, as he begins to start chapter 6, he kind of continues in that same family a theme that he started, uh, dealing with the relationships between uh, children and their parents. Very important thing. So let's just jump here in uh, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. The first thing I'd like to point out is that children are to obey their parents in the Lord. If you're taking notes this evening, you need to underline in the Lord. It's important. Uh, and it's important to remember that obedience in any way, shape, or form, whether it is to parents, uh, to magistrates, to the powers that be, or any other relationship, uh, is, you know, for that matter, is tied directly to the Lord. Your obedience is to Him and to Him supremely. Peter and John uh, made this very, very clear in the fifth chapter of Acts. You probably remember the story. Uh, you know, they had been arrested. They had been told previously to not be preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And they had been, uh, you know... Uh, punished for that and then and commanded not to do it anymore. But they continued to do it. And so they were arrested again. And, you know, the, the, the council said, did we not tell you that you should not be doing this, not to be preaching in this name? And, of course, they said, well, judge in yourself whether we should obey God or whether we should obey man. Well, it was a challenge to judge in yourself, but really it was a mandate saying your obedience is to God and to God alone. When the law says that you are to do something that is contrary to your conscience uh, in being obedient to the commandments of God, well, you go with God. You stand with the Lord. Your obedience, your obligation is to Him and to Him supremely. Therefore, having said that, when parents are not godly parents or when they claim to be godly parents but yet maybe they don't live what they say that they believe and they encourage their children in directions that are contrary to the written will of God. I don't believe for a moment that children at that point are obligated to obey those parents whatsoever. Let me explain. Many years ago, me and my wife... Uh, we were part of the foster care system. I had many, many foster kids over a period of, of years. And we had children, uh, teenagers is really all I ever took care of. And some of their cases uh, were involved with parents who made a claim to godliness, 
but yet they had encouraged their children in ways of, of thievery. They actually had them stealing in grocery stores and, and stealing cigarettes and, and alcohol and stuff and, and really turned them into vagabonds and, and thieves. Uh, this certainly would not have been uh, anything that they would have had to have been obedient to. In fact, when you really begin to study the issue, much evil and child abuse, really, uh, for that matter, as I said, have been done in the name of religion and other things. I believe that this principle, that is your obedience to God alone, first and foremost, applies to everything. Just as Peter and John said, judge in yourself, you know, whether you should obey God or whether you should obey man. But in the previous chapter, Paul dealt with the relationship of marriage and he told the wives to submit to their husbands in everything. But when the husband is ungodly and demands ungodly things of his wife, I do not believe for a moment that God intends for a woman at that time to be submissive to a man who is demanding ungodly things. Let me explain. Many years ago, once again, uh, as I was pastoring Calvary Chapel in Zanesville, Ohio, had a young lady who had been married for a handful of years. She was a believer, and obviously her husband was not. He had come to her with a request. She came to me and told it to me. And what he had requested was that his wife would go with him down to the local mall and at random would pick out a man with whom he wanted to go back to their home to talk him into it and to engage in sexual acts with his wife in front of him. Now, that sounds sick, and it is sick. It's crazy. But this woman really thought and believed that she was obligated to do such an ungodly thing because the Scripture said that women should obey their husbands and everything. I assured her that this had nothing to do with her submission to him and that because of his ungodliness and unwilling to do anything that was right, not only in the sight of God, but even in the sight of men, this would have been disgusting and uncalled for. She was under no obligation. Judge in yourself, Peter and John said, whether we should obey God or whether we should obey men. We always obey God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that we want to, to, to uh, adhere to and to, to, to do what he has commanded us to do. Let's look at verse 4. He says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath. There are people who seem to thrive on tormenting children in a very cruel way, constantly provoking uh, with unreasonable demands, unreasonable disciplines. They only produce children, really, that because they have been, uh, or they have reached the end of their rope, you know, they begin to lash out in violent uh, manners. Um, 
unfortunately, children who have been the victim of such parenting, especially from fathers, often wind up lashing out, as I said, not, not really so much to the fathers, although that certainly is a possibility. But they wind up lashing out or acting out, as, as it's called really in child care, uh, to those who are weaker around them. So they become hateful and they become mean and violent in their reaction to the kids around them and even in school. Sometimes this type of uh, attitude, this type of uh, actions can be achieved simply by giving a bad example. I remember listening to Gail Erdman one time. Maybe you know who he is. He's very famous and, and he was speaking at Calvary Chapel in Zanesville. And he was talking about his grandson, and I'll never forget it. He said that, you know, his grandson, he went on and on, and of course, you know, being the uh, doting grandfather that he was, he was bragging on his grandson. Gail's one of those guys, he wears suspenders, he always has, and he, he always stands with his thumbs in his belt loops while he's speaking. It's just the way he stands, and he always ha- has. But one time, you know, while he was there, he was speaking, and he said that uh, he was just there at his house one night. And his grandson had been there, and, and he'd been, you know, visiting with Grandpa. And, and uh, you know, his grandson loved his, his grandfather. And Gail said he looked down, and, and he, here stood his grandson right next to him, wearing practically the same type of shirt, wearing practically the same type of pants. And though he didn't have suspenders on, he had both thumbs in his belt loops. Why? Because he loved his grandfather. Now, as crazy as it sounds, my friends, I've, been in, I've had foster care and I've taken much, much training in this area. But you know, it's true that in a very strange way, even if parents are abusive, their children still love them. And they often imitate them to the point where sometimes they become even better at what it is they have learned. So if that's screaming and hollering or fighting and bickering, they become even better at it. A boy or girl who's been brought up around irrational anger from their parents, specifically fathers, because fathers wield the most influence in the household. They just do. These children will often grow up to become irrational in their anger uh, themselves and and really having no self-control. God says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Instead, he says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Give them an example of what a godly man is, a level of, uh, you know, a you know, but having a level head, I guess, is what I'm saying. That's really what we want to teach our children. Even, you know, even temperedness, you know, having not, not, not being given to, you know, explosive tempers and those type of things, but, you know, nurturing them in the ways of the Lord. That's really what we should be doing. I'm very blessed as a grandfather myself. I was uh, recently, uh, my, the youngest one in our family is a, little man by the name of uh, Fenn. And uh, he, how old is Fenn now? Almost he's almost a year old. He's got a whole mouthful of teeth already. And, and he's just an even-tempered, 
young man and uh, just a blessing to be around as a child. And, uh, but the thing that really got me the most, and I don't want to get waxed too sentimental, but it was such a blessing to see my son um, with his kids. And what a good father he is and what a, what a good man he has become. And, and I, my daughters are too, but I, this was my son I was seeing at the time. So uh, I'm not picking favorites. It just happens to be the, the thought that came to my mind. Uh, you know, just the way he held them and just the way he talks to his children uh, is just a good thing. And I'm not saying that I'm the catalyst to it. He probably has much more uh, <laughs> compassion and, and probably temperance than I did. Uh, but that's the type of thing I'm talking about. And it's the type of thing that Paul's talking about. Train them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You know, uh, discipline and punishment are two different things. Punishment is a simply saying, I'm tired of you and I don't want you bugging me anymore. And I'm going to inflict something on you of no matter what that might be. Training, on the other hand, discipline, well, that's, uh, that's a whole other issue, and that has to be started when they're young. And the Bible teaches discipline, but punishment is something that, that's man-made, and it's often ungodly, and it's often, its results are n- never good, because the wrath of man, the Bible says, does not work the righteousness of God. So, He says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Verse 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Paul, I love it when he says this stuff, and it's so practical, you see. Paul went on to talk about, you know, employees and and their relationship that they have with their employers. Very practical stuff. Once again, Paul said that as employees, we should be obedient to those who are over us in Christ. And that's important if you're taking note. Make note of that. It's unto Christ is what you're doing, not as a man pleaser, which I have to admit that nobody likes working with men pleasers. They, they're they sickening because they'll do anything. They never, they never mean it. They just do it to get ahead. But that's not what we do as Christians. You know, we genuinely want to do our job the best that we possibly can, performing the task that you've been paid to do as though you were doing it for Jesus Christ himself. This is what Paul's saying. It should be a heartfelt thing, putting your heart into it, which is doing the will of God. I've had the opportunity over the last 40 years that I've been in ministry to minister to many people who have found themselves at odds with their employer. Sometimes they would complain to me about a particular job that they had to do. My response has always been the same. Uh, I always say to them, well, you have made the mistake of thinking that you're working for that person. And they always tell me, well, I am working for that person. No, not really. You, 
you, you've made the mistake in believing that the one who signs your check is the one you're actually working for. Not true. Not as a believer. Not if you're a, not if you're a Christian. You see, the truth is you should have the mindset, Paul says, that you're working for the Lord because you really are. You know, it is he who is rewarding you with a paycheck. He just happens to be using the company that you're working for or that person that you're working for who signs your check. He just happens to be using them to provide it. When I was... uh, in the employment of other people. Now, I did work for myself for many, 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 many years. And I was blessed to be able to do that. But prior to that, when I was a young man, I worked for for a few people. And my attitude was at the time, because I was serving the Lord, that whatever they paid me (laughs) to do, that's what I did. You know, I was hired for a particular job, but I really never looked at it as though this is my job description and this is the only thing I will do if I get paid. No, I never, I never looked at it that way. I figured they were paying me a certain amount of money and it just really didn't matter to me what it was that I did in order to receive it. I wanted to do the best that I could. I wanted to rightly represent the Lord. I really wanted to be the best employee, not so they would pat me on the back, but that so that they would listen to me when I began to share the gospel with them, which I tell you happened many, many times. Uh, every place I ever worked, um, because I was a good worker, um, people listened to me preach. And they took that to heart. There's nothing worse. I remember my brother, uh, uh, Danny, who uh, used to hire a lot of people. And I won't say the company that he worked for, but, you know, uh, there, he's a Christian and has been for a long time. And I remember him telling me, we were talking as employer to, and to an employer. He said, have you found that the worst employees tend to be Christians? And I said, well, unfortunately, you're right. But it shouldn't be that way. Not according to Paul. In fact, sometimes people who claim the name of Christ can be the laziest people you know, amongst the, 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 the employee pool. This should not be, my friends. should be totally the opposite. The problem with it is when you are lazy, when you are a, in the Army, we call it a sham artist, when you're trying to get out of your chosen job that you're actually getting paid for, you try to witness to somebody later, and they're going to discount everything that you have to say, even if what you're saying about Christ is true. Because they're going to look at your performance and think, you don't believe it yourself. So Paul says, listen, when you're working for someone, when you are in subjection to the employer, then be the best that you can be. Do it as though you're doing it unto the Lord. The Bible says, whatever you find to do, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Do it unto God. Do the will of God. You know, put your whole heart in. Whatever that task is, you know, when I, when I was working for other people, I, I, because of this verse, I just took it to heart. And I was a very, very young man. So, you know, even though I was hired to do a particular job, if, if they wanted me to sweep the floor, I swept the floor. And there were times, you see, when sometimes people would, would and would not show up to do a particular job. I remember many times I had to clean the restrooms uh, of the stores that I worked in. Not a problem. Uh, it just wasn't an issue. So once again, Paul is telling us, 
do whatever it is that you do, whatever you're being paid to do, do it as though you're doing it unto the Lord. Look at verse 8. He says, knowing that whatsoever good thing that any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Notice here that the Lord rewards whatever good thing a man does. Make note of that. Listen, regardless of whether he's an employee or employer. Now, I, I love the passage in Hebrews where Paul says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For all those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So though I really don't seek a reward, I'm not, that's not the reason I'm doing anything. I simply serve God out of an attitude of gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for me. But in so doing, God has promised that he will reward us you know, for any good thing that we do. I just love that. I, I, what a what a, what a icing on the cake. What a bonus that is, you see. It's a joy to serve the Lord anyway in any capacity that we can do and to represent him into the world uh, and to our employers. But, you know, it's just a great, great thing. Look at verse 9. He says, And ye masters, do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master is also in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. So, you know, Paul first talks about employees. Now he's talking about the employer. And of course, he's talking about both of them being believers and the relationship that they should have one to the other. You know, when we had the Elcor Laboratories uh, was thriving, it was a blessing uh, to be able to serve Christ in that capacity. And one of the things I loved about Elcor was that even those of us who were the partners, those are the bosses, if you will, our relationship with the employees was pretty much that of friends. It really wasn't so much of a us and them. It was an employer-employee. Uh, we had Bible studies every morning at our fellow, in, in our business. We uh, encourage our employees. We even paid them on the clock to set and go through the scriptures with us. Um, and if we did well, we all did well. Uh, we gave uh, raises and uh, we, were, we were generous, is I guess is what I'm saying. And I love the fact that we were able to do that. And God honored that. You know, so, so often there are employers who are not that way. So often, uh, they do use threatening. They, they, and, and why? Because it's an authority issue with them. Authority is a strange thing. And I can tell you from past experience that some people should never be given it, whether that's somebody who winds up as an employer or somebody with authority in a company. You're always going to find people who shouldn't have it. I remember years ago as a young man, I was working at Iowa State Maximum Security Prison. I was a, a cell house uh, guard and, um, and enjoyed it. And I had never been in a policing situation before. I had never worn a badge before. And so you go through training for that. And before our shift, uh, we would go up there, and, and uh, it was the tradition of that particular place to play euchre. Uh, every shift, the guards would go up there and we'd break into teams and everybody would play euchre. And it was fun. 
And, but we would sit around playing euchre in our street clothes. And then we would go uh, into the locker room, and before shift would begin, we would put on our uniforms. And even as a young man, and I really wasn't serving the Lord back then, but I noticed something. And it was significant, and it was something that jumped out at me that has stayed with me. And I learned a valuable lesson from it. And what I noticed was that these guys that I considered many of to be my friends, that while they were sitting there at the table playing cards and, and, and just, you know, shooting the breeze and having a good time, were some of the nicest guys you would want to hang around with. But once they put the uniform on, once the badge went on, and they, we used to wear Smokey the Bear hats in that particular room. Once that hat went on, their attitude changed. You could see it. You could hear it. Some of, they even walked differently. Not all of them. Not all of them, of course. But the ones that I, I noticed, wow. And their attitude towards the prisoners was totally different than what it had been when they were just sitting with the guys in their normal clothes. That taught me that authority can corrupt. And absolute authority can corrupt absolutely. So you have to be careful how you will. That's why what Paul is saying here to the employers, those of us who had authority, was that remember who is above you, who has the ultimate authority, and that is God, and he is no respecter of persons. In fact, during the first church, as Paul's writing this to the Ephesians, he's talking about slaves and masters. I'm using the, the terminology of employer-employee, but in a very real sense, think about it this way. Those who had slaves, and you know, the masters who had slaves, many times they would be a part of the same church. But when they got to church, my friends, this is fact now. Listen to me. This is church history sometimes the slave would actually be in the position of elder. You see? So the master then at church became the subordinate in a way. You understand what I'm saying? And the slave became the one who was in charge. So there had to be that graciousness of rapport that they had with each other, that it was a give and take, you see. And that only happens in Christ. It only happens in God. Now, we have a, 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 a couple in our fellowship who has a, a, we have several businessmen in our in our church, but one in particular, and I won't mention any names, but I just find it interesting when you go into their business uh, as it was in my own. Uh, there's uh, scriptures on places, and, and, and it's evident that they're owned by Christ. It's evident. Their love for Christ is evident. And that's a good thing. You know, I've heard him even talk about the uh, lack of turnover. That's the way it was with us, too. You know, why? Because when that relationship is good, who wants to leave there? Because it's a blessing to be there. It's a blessing to be in that situation. This is what Paul is trying to get across here uh, in this particular passage in Ephesians. You know, masters and slaves, you know, uh, employers, employees. He's going, look. Have due benevolence, really, one to the other, because God's no respecter of person. He don't care. 
You know, how many times I've heard people, you know, over the years, somebody would say, do you know who I am? Nobody cares. God doesn't care who you are. He will use anybody. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due season. Because God resisteth the proud, my friends, but he giveth grace to the humble. That's really the point that Paul's getting across. Humble yourself to each other. You know, have that due benevolence relationship, especially in the realm of employer, employee, or slave or master, however you want to put it. Look at verse 10. He says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The first three chapters that Paul gave us here, Paul taught us about being seated with Christ in heavenly places. He talked about the riches that we have in Christ and in the Lord. He taught us about all that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on our behalf. Then for two and a half chapters, he's been talking about the walk that we should have in the Lord. If you're genuinely born again and you're genuinely being motivated by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's a reality in your life. That baptism that we have with the Holy Spirit, then your life will be different. You can't help it. Your walk will be something that comes very uh, naturally, though it is motivated supernaturally. It will seem natural. It will seem second nature to you. Because it won't be you doing it. It's the Holy Spirit that doeth the works, you see. That's why we never want to underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, uh, we're living in a, in a society and, and within Christendom that has, I guess for lack of a better term, as one person asked me a question about easy believism. Well, I, I don't believe in easy believism. And basically what that says is that you claim the name of Christ and somehow you're a Christian. Well, I got news for you. You better go read Matthew chapter 7. There's plenty of people who claim the name of Christ who Christ will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But when a person genuinely is born again, when he genuinely comes to Christ and he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then there's that yearning of heart of that, of that believer for something more, as we're told in the first chapter of the book of Acts, that Jesus said, John the Baptist very well baptized you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so when a person is energized by the Holy Spirit, he's being ignited, then the things of this world grow vaguely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I have a taste for the things of the Spirit. 
I now have a taste for the things of God and not the things of this world. So Paul, three chapters in, talked about us being seated with Christ. Then he says that we are to walk with the Lord, two and a half chapters of that. Now he's telling us to stand. Stand steadfast in the Lord, you know, and in the power of his might. So the first thing I want to point out to you is Paul said that we are to be strong in the Lord. That's in the Lord and in his power, in the power of his might. So we're told to put on the whole armor of God uh, in order that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The enemy hates you, my friends. If you don't know that, you need to get that into your mind and into your heart. You need to know that. The enemy hates you with a passion. In fact, if you're a child of God and you are genuinely born again, you have a giant target painted on your back. The devil wants you. Remember, Jesus told Peter, Satan has desired thee to sift thee like wheat. He wants to ruin you. He wants to destroy you. Jesus said that the enemy, the devil, comes not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He wants to kill your joy. He wants to steal your your, 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 your joy, and he wants to see you humiliated as a Christian. He wants to destroy your witness in this world. That's what he comes to do. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have that life more abundantly. The devil wants you. You know, he's clever. We, ha- we have to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, but we're not wrestling, my friends. We can't do it by some physical means. He says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Our warfare is not of this physical world. Our warfare is against spiritual or against principalities, he says, against powers of the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If you want an example of that, watch the evening news right now of people indiscriminately killing one another and burning buildings and running in and looting and just doing all manner of mayhem, laughing the whole time as though it's no big deal, murdering police officers in the street and the fact that the the state does nothing to stop it. Even they don't care. That's what you're battling. That's spiritual wickedness in high places. You ever doubt the darkness of a man's heart well, buddy, you better start watching the news in today's time because it's a great example of how evil this world can get. But I'm telling you, there's coming a time when Jesus takes the church from this world. It's going to be so much worse than you possibly could ever imagine. But as it stands right now, our warfare is not of this flesh. We're not warring against flesh and blood. It is against principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places, which is why we need the whole armor of God in order, he says, that you can withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, Paul said, stand therefore. Now I want to point out to you that you're you're not really putting on the armor of God. It's certainly not your armor anyway. Uh, There's not one piece of this armor that belongs to you. It's issued to you. When I went into the military, one of the things they do is they issue you your T 
TA-50 is what they used to call it when I was in. I'm not sure what they call it now. But your TA-50 was all your tactical gear, your rifle, your backpack, all the things that you needed for warfare. It was issued to you. It wasn't yours. <laughs> Matter of fact, when you ETS'd, when you got out of the military, you had to turn it all back in. Now, the beauty about the armor that God gives you is even though it's not yours, it is absolutely all of Jesus's. He never takes it back because you're never going to ETS out of the army of the Lord. It's a lifetime commitment. Once you are in it, <laughs> then you are always in it. And he is always giving you that which is needful to wage a warfare that is already won, my friends. Because Jesus is the one who has won it. But he tells us to take the very first thing, which is the truth. You know, once again, these elements of the armor of God are not our elements. They're his elements. In fact, when you think of truth, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says we're to take on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, certainly not our own, but we are to take his righteousness, which is imputed to us by faith alone. We are to have our feet shod, he says, with the gospel of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Above all, Paul says, we are to take the shield of faith. Faith is so misunderstood today. And, and you really, as a child of God, need to get your fingers around this because many false teachers today describe it as a force or some abstract power. But the Bible makes it clear that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I was having a discussion with an elder today, and we were talking about the fact that the things that we do, that God has called us to do, we cannot do in our own strength. We have to do it in the power of the Lord. And he's the one who gives us the power. He gives us the very ability to do it. You remember Peter, when Jesus had resurrected from the dead and when he had went down to the, to the Galilee and the sea there and, and Peter was already doing, he, after Jesus had, had perished, he thought, he said, well, I go fishing. He, he was going, he was disheartened, man. He was going back to fishing. But when the Lord showed up on the shore, he was ecstatic and of course, they had pulled in the great net of fishes, and it was so great they couldn't even pull it into the boat, and so they kind of drug it, all of them did, to shore. And yet the Lord told him to bring the fish, and Peter by himself then has the strength to haul in this whole net full of great fishes, it said. Christ gives you the ability to do that which he has called you to do. You remember the crippled man who had the withered hand when Jesus went into the synagogue and Jesus went in there to teach and of course the Pharisees being the Pharisees wanted to see what he would do see if he would dare to heal somebody on the Sabbath but he went to that man who had the withered hand and he said stretch forth your hand and I've given that so much thought over the years and I thought you know had it been me would I have stretched forth my withered hand or would I have done what this man probably had done a million times? I'm sure that every time somebody reached out to shake his hand, he did it this way or whatever arm it was, we're not told. 
but he would stretch forth the good arm. But that's not what he did this day. This day, when Jesus said, stretch forth your arm, he stretched forth his withered hand. Now, he had no ability to do it. But Christ commanded him to do it, and then in turn gave him the ability to do that which he commanded him to do. That's our God. That's our Savior. He doesn't just ask you to do something. He's not standing up there waiting for you to fail. He has not only told you what to do, my friends, he has given you the power and the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's there cheering you on. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's called us to do. So we take the faith that is his faith that is given to us by simply being his child. To every man is given the measure of faith, the scriptures say. We take that. And we're able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil with it. Not maybe. We are able. We will Because the enemy is after us. He hates us, but he will not prevail because the gates of hell will not prevail. But it doesn't stop him from trying. And as the days get shorter, my friends, as the time of Jesus' coming approaches even sooner, he's going to wage a war like we've never seen. Now, I do firmly believe that the church will not see the wrath of God. God does not pour his wrath out upon his people. I don't believe that for a moment. But I do think that we will see the rise of the Antichrist. I think that we will see the rise of the evil day, and we will witness the beginnings of these things. So we want to be prepared. So with the shield of faith, we are able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. And we take the helmet of salvation, which God has granted to those who believe him, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let me encourage you in something. Those of you who have been listening to my Bible studies for years, you're self-feeders. I know that. You know, you simply come here to hear this old man preach something that he just loves to do. I love to teach the Word of God. And even though I know for the most part, as Paul wrote to Timothy and said, I know you know these things. I know you know it. But I'm just reminding you, I'm encouraging you in that. Continue to do that, my friends. Self-feed especially in these last days, because it strengthens our faith. It strengthens our armor ability, if you will, to withstand the evil day. You know, take the Word of God. Teach it to other people. Hold it up. So many people, those who even claim the name of Christ, have departed from it. They don't want no part of it. But we love it. We love it. We cherish it. We, we're like the Apostle John there in the book of Revelation. He says, when I put it in my mouth, it was like honey. You know, we love the Word of God. It's the very words of life. I'm reminded of John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus' disciples. After everybody else had departed, he turned to the 12 and he said, will you leave also? And they said, Lord, where will we go? Thou hast to the words of life. And that's what the Word of God is, my friends. It's the Word of life. It's the sword of the Spirit. You know, learn how to wield it. Commit it to memory. It's nothing worse than watching somebody who doesn't know how to wield the sword. 
You know, a lot of times swords, especially in the military, are nothing more than ornamental. They're just ornamental. They wear them as part of their uniform. Oh, they don't know how to use them, you see. <laughs> they don't know how to use them, but it's just ornaments. And unfortunately, in the armor of many Christians, the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, has become just ornamental, you see. It's nothing more than something that looks good on the desk or on, on the table. It's not even wielded at the pulpit anymore. But you wield it. You stand in it. You stand fast in it. Because with it, with the helmet of salvation, with the shield of faith, and all those things that Christ has, has called us to, we will overcome because he has already overcome for us. You know, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, he says, The word of God is quick. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Look at verse 18. He says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So then we are to pray always with supplication in the Spirit, he says, watching with perseverance. Supplication for all saints. Thus, we should be praying for all or each or all everyone all the time. We should be praying and lifting each other up all the time. Intercessory prayers really is what I'm pointing to. Verse 19, and for me, that is he's asking for prayer, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds. Remember, he's in prison when he writes this, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul here prays for boldness. I wouldn't think about that one for a moment. Here's a man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that every time he spoke in public, it either produced a, a revolt or a revival. How many times was he beaten? How many times was he threatened with death? How many times? And he's asking the Ephesians to pray for him that he would have boldness while he's in prison. I understand that. I really do. Even though Paul, we would never guess that he would ever have a moment of lapse of boldness, but he was already in prison. And there was those who in authority who were over him. And sometimes authority can intimidate a believer. In fact, Satan wants to intimidate you, my friends. He wants to shut you up. He doesn't want you to speak up. He wants you to cower in front of authority that you will back off, that you will not stand up with the Bible in one hand and your mouth open to preach it. He wants to keep you quiet. Too many times Christians have allowed themselves to be intimidated by the opposition to close their mouth. But Paul asked for prayer. Pray for me, he said, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I pray the same thing. You should pray the same thing. I ask you 
those of you who not only attend Calvary Chapel North, but anyone who has been listening to my ministry through radio and other means over the years, I ask you, pray, continue to pray for me that I would be able to be bold and to continue to speak the truth in love, yes, but boldly. So often when we teach the Word of God, our boldness will be misconstrued as hate or it will be misconstrued as being mean or insensitive and without compassion. This is not true. Those of us who truly love the Word of God in Jesus Christ, we love His people and we love the people of God. Thus we speak. Thus we preach Christ and Him living and crucified and risen again. And we preach it boldly because we love people, but we don't want to be misunderstood, so we speak plainly. Pray for us that we would never be intimidated by authority, that we would cower from that. Paul asked for that same prayer. We should all ask for that kind of prayer. Look at verse 21. He says, But that you also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychius, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know uh, our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren that love and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That's a whole sermon unto itself, but I won't bore you tonight. Amen to the Ephesians written from Rome by Tychius. So Paul ended with this benediction that Tychius would make known to the brethren all that was going on with Paul. In his incarceration, Paul prays and wants Tychius to make known to the brethren that they are to be comforted. Wow. He wants them to be put at ease concerning him. So often we think that those who are in prison are the ones who are in need of comforting. And no doubt it's true that there are many who are. But here was Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, in one of the worst prisons that there was. And his concern wasn't for his own comfort, but for those who were worried about him. That's what a man of God looks like. His concern was for those who were concerned about him, even when his life was getting short. Well, next time, we're going to continue, but we're going to be starting the book of Philippians. Read ahead, my friends. It gets so much better. So the Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. And as you're studying the word of God, man, let it enrich your life deeply. Let it take you into another, another level of fellowship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn all that what Jesus has done for you. 
that we might walk in grace and graciousness and gratefulness to him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. And thank you for your word and all that you have done for us, Lord Father. We are so thankful. We're thankful for you, Lord Father, that we know that through the armament that you have provided, that only you can do, Lord Father, that we are able to withstand in the evil day the fiery darts of the wicked and the wiles of the devil, Lord Father. Though he tries to hit the target that might be on my back, Lord Father, you have my back. You are guarding those. You're the Spirit of the Lord, your word says, encamps round about them that fear him. Lord, and though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Lord, be with those who have tuned in tonight, Lord Father, and those who are, will be listening by radio. That, Lord Father, first off, that those who do not know you would come to know you. Maybe during this time of unrest and of prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes, Lord Father, they have come to the realization, they have hearkened to the wooing of the Holy Spirit, and they, they have said, I, I need a Savior. If that's you, my friend, if that's you, you didn't tune in for no reason. You've been listening. You know. Listen. If you have any hinkling, any drawing, make no mistake, the Lord is knocking on your door. Jesus said, lo, I stand at the door and knock. If you will answer, he said, I will come in and I will sup with you and you with me and we will have fellowship one with another. Listen to me. Don't put it off, my friends. Jesus is knocking. The door will open if you simply ask. Ask tonight. Ask the Lord to come into your heart, and he will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. I do want to remind you that uh, this coming Sunday, of course, we will be having our first service back in our building at Cherry Valley, and I'm excited about that. I hope to see all of our Calvary Chapel family uh, whether you're new family or whether you're the old family, we all want to get together. I am very excited about it. Uh, we are going to be experiencing some social distancing because they've moved our chairs apart. Families will obviously be able to sit together. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a great time. So we get to go back to uh, worshiping and music and in song. And uh, last week was such a blessing. Uh, we had a great time at the fellowship dinner and we had several baptisms and the Lord blessed and blessed and blessed. It was just a great time. So I'm really expecting great things uh, this Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. Be prayed up, my friends. Uh, God is doing something. God is doing a mighty, mighty work amongst Calvary Chapel North. So come out this Sunday, 1030, Cherry Valley, uh, and uh, we're going to go right back to what God has got us doing, and that is serving the risen Lord Jesus Christ. God be with you. We'll see you next time. God bless.